Today, the privilege of prayer part two. And when we're talking about prayer, specifically in John 14, 15, and 16, it's not just the general concept of communicating with God that we're talking about. We're talking specifically about asking prayer. Asking prayer. And last week we discovered that the death and resurrection of Jesus actually makes this privilege of prayer possible. The fact that he's telling us to pray in Jesus' name was only possible post-resurrection, post-cross, post, uh, as, as he is in heaven now uh, interceding for us. He's giving us the privilege to pray from earth in his stead. It's pretty awesome. So this is a privilege that we can ask anything in the name of Jesus, and it's a privilege that he died to give us. So today, we're building on that foundation that we looked at last week. And we're going to ask the question a little bit more on the practical side. Well then, how can I pray like that, right? How do I actually go about that in a way that I can be laying claim to the blank check assurances that Jesus gives us here in these farewell discourses that whatever I ask, I'll actually receive. How do I do that? Because I've tried that, but how do I actually do it the way Jesus teaches it? So that's what we're looking at. And let me just say it here at the onset. Maybe I said this last week. I don't remember. But every time I preach on prayer, I realize how little I know about prayer. I don't know if you've ever discovered that you think, you, you know, this is something you've done maybe for some of us since we were young. Um, but, you know, there's something more to it. Not that God is like, mystifying himself and trying to cloak himself. Hey, let's see if you can find me in prayer. You know, that kind of thing. No, but I think there's a, an experience that he's inviting us into if we would just seek after it. And so I hope you would join me in this journey. I'm preaching on this, but I'm discovering this myself along the way. So join me in this journey. Uh, let's pray together as we dive in. Father in heaven, here we are once again, seeking to know you and seeking to know how to keep knowing you in prayer, how to keep approaching you, specifically in asking prayer. We confess to you our weakness. We confess to you our hard hearts and thick skulls. And we just give you permission by the power of your Holy Spirit to minister to us whatever it is that we need in order to take that next step with you in prayer. You know, the prayer cards that we have in our hands, these are nice prompts. These are good suggestions. But Lord, as we open up the word, would you please instruct us and teach us how to pray like you've given us the privilege to pray. This is our desire in Jesus' precious name. Let the family say, amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to John, John 15 today. <clears throat> and if you received one of those prayer cards, I know this may, may be a challenge for those of us who have difficulty multitasking and stuff, but go ahead. I give you permission to get distracted a little bit from the sermon and just pray what the prayer cards are suggesting you to pray. Uh, that, that's our hope that the, the next few Sabbaths where we use these prayer cards, that we would not just have a time for prayer, but that we would be praying. Okay, so this is kind of our hope to kind of move us in the direction of becoming a house of prayer. Um, all right, so here we are, John 15. For those of you who are able to do this at the same time, John 15, all red letters here. 
This is in the middle of Jesus' farewell discourse. He's preparing his disciples for his soon departure. He's just told, or he's just had the upper room experience in John 13. He's just told them, hey, where I'm going, you can't follow me right now. Peter is all upset. He's like, hey, wherever I go or wherever you go, I'm going to follow. Oh, really, Peter, you're going to deny me. And they're leaving the upper room. The disciples are really, you know, I can just imagine the kind of stress that they're maybe feeling, anxiety that they're kind of feeling, which is why the first few words of John 14 are, let not your heart be troubled. I love that. You know, Jesus isn't just this teacher that has some mental scripts and he's just going to download some information. He reads the eyes of his students. He understands the palpitations of their own heart and he gives them exactly what they need. And as they're walking the night sky has already settled in. They're, they're on their way from the upper room now to Gethsemane eventually. And probably as they're passing by, you know, they, they pass by some, uh, some, some vineyards maybe. And Jesus draws an illustration from these vineyards. And he says in John 15, verse 1, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and say, I'm there. All right, John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he he takes it away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And in this, verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I think just three times within that verse alone, there's this command, abide. What, does, does anybody else's version translate that differently? Mine says abide. Does anybody else's say it differently? Remain. Remain. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Any other, any other versions? Maybe stay, stay put. Um, but here, this major theme in chapter 15 is Jesus' desire that even though he's going to be gone, they still have the privilege of staying. Staying where? Staying in me, he says. Abide in me. This is the major theme of this chapter. And he lays so much importance upon this. Uh, This relationship with him is not something that is fleeting or temporary. Even if he's gone, it's something that's lasting. This is what he wants for all of his disciples, not just those, I guess, 11 at that point, but for all throughout eternity. He wants all disciples, whether he's present physically or not, he wants all disciples, you and me, to abide, to stay put. Don't go anywhere. Okay, this is the relationship that Jesus wants is more than a touch and go every now and then connection. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, he didn't use words like check in with me. Right? He didn't use words like log in when you have Wi-Fi in me. No, that's not what he said. He used a very specific word, stay, remain, live. I mean, the word, we, we don't really, I don't know, do you use the word abide very much? I mean, I guess in other contexts, boy, what, what would we, where is your abode? Right? What, what are we talking about? We're talking about the place where we live. We're not talking about a hotel that we go to every now and then. We're talking about where our permanent address is. So do you, you, you realize how much importance Jesus is laying upon a lasting relationship. 
This is why in John 1, I think it's the same word, um, or at least it's, it's a related word, when, when John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus didn't just become human for the time being. He stayed with us. He stayed, that, that's huge to me. And recently over the radio, I've been hearing this new song, You're the God Who Stays. And he wants us to be followers who stay too. The verb itself highlights this, this lasting dynamic, but even the metaphor that he draws. Remember, he's talking about a vine and branch. And uh, really, he's using an organic metaphor to kind of imply that this connection, if it's lost, it means death. Yeah? This isn't just an option. It's not just a luxury. It's a necessity. Stay put. Stay put. And all this, the way he says it, it's not as a suggestion. It's not advice, hey, this would be a good idea if. No, it's a command, right? The, the verb form is in a command. It's an imperative. It's an absolute necessity. In fact, in verse 5, you still have your Bible there. Verse 5, notice how absolutely we need this. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do Nothing. That's a pretty absolute term, right? And uh, we kind of prescribe to our kids whenever uh, they get upset about something. Uh, oh, he always says this. Does he really always say that? He never does. Does he never really? But when Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. It's true. Nothing. Nada. Zero right? There's nothing that we can do apart from him. And it's in this context of abiding that Jesus now urges his disciples to ask. There's a connection and we'll see this, okay? So we're going to look at how-tos of asking prayer, okay? How-tos of asking prayer. And the first one, we're going to see it in verse 7, is invest deeply, invest yourself in the condition of asking prayer. There's a certain condition that makes asking prayer possible and effectual. Okay? So let's take a look at it. It's in verse 7. Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Okay, there's the ask, right? You will ask what you desire, or in some versions it's actually translated as a command. Ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. But first I want to look at the first half of this, because it starts with the word if. Whenever you see an if, it's talking about a potential, right? It's talking about a condition in this case. If this, then that. So what's the if? What's the condition that we need to personally invest in? Let's take a look again. First part, if you, what's the first? Abide in me and my words abide in you. Let your minds just kind of marinate on that. Abiding is the condition for effectual asking. That's it. Abiding is the condition for effectual asking. But notice how it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. What's really interesting is that if you, I don't know, I don't have a whiteboard to kind of draw this up here, but just take that phrase in verse 7, abide in me and my words abide in you. 
But if you compare that to verse 4, there's a very similar sentence that Jesus uses or phrase that Jesus uses, but it's it's slightly different. He says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. Okay, wait, wait, wait. This is really interesting because apparently God abiding in me is somehow in parallel with his words abiding in me. Everybody see that on their mental whiteboard? Sorry, I could have drawn drawn that up here, I guess. The phrase stands in parallel with I in you from verse 4. The implication is there is power in the words of Jesus. There is significant power in the words of Jesus. The words of Jesus, yeah, they, I mean, our, our English Bibles here, we, we have, at least mine does, has Jesus' words in red, you know, so it causes it to stand out. But more than that, the words of Jesus are the medium through which the very presence of Jesus is in your life and mine. That's a big deal. So when you talk about, you know, having daily devotions and getting into the Word every day and stuff, this is more than just a, a routine that's a, you know, a nice idea. This is more than just a routine. To ch- this is an avenue through which the very presence of Jesus can be right in your life and mine. Not that the words of Jesus are a substitute for Jesus' presence in our lives, but the words of Jesus are the channel through which Jesus actually abides in me. That's big. So every time I'm opening up the word, I have an opportunity to say, Jesus, please take the throne of my heart once again. Every time I I read something in scripture or I hear something over the radio, if I receive that, I am receiving the very presence of Jesus in my life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When he talks about abide in me and I in you, I mean, he's not, he's, you know, this this is something he wants us to sink our teeth into. Well, Jesus, how do you abide in me? By listening and receiving my words. Listening to and receiving my words. According to Jesus, this is why, uh, you know, I don't have this on the screen, but you can flip over to chapter 6. Um, he, he, he just lays into the importance of his words. John 6, verse, I think it's 63. This is something as a freshman in high school, I remember reading, and this just kind of uh, blew my mind. It, it, it keyed me into the fact that the Bible, as I had been using it at that point, was, for me, it was only a textbook that I got answers for my Bible homework in school. But apparently, the words of Jesus are so much more. Notice John 6, verse 63. If you're there, say, I'm there. The Bible says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. This is what Jesus is talking about. When you abide in me and my words abide in you, I'm abiding in you. Life is abiding in you. That's why down in verse 66 and 67, when when people are saying, I I just don't know what to, to do with this. Jesus is saying, eat his body. I don't know what that means. He was talking about eating his words, receiving his words, ingesting his words into our own being. And some people walked away, according to verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. But verse 67, Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go? Do you want to go away too? Notice how Simon Peter responds. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? What other alternative is there? And then the very next thing, you have the words of eternal life. 
Peter got it. Peter got it. And there in John 15, we can turn back there, Jesus wants to make sure that Peter and the other disciples still get it. When you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll have the very presence of Jesus in your life. Man, this, this is the condition. If you're wanting to really take seriously this asking prayer, this privilege of prayer that Jesus has opened up to us by his very life and death, then it starts with investing in the condition. And what is the condition of asking prayer? It's abiding. Abide. And having him abide in us via the word. Sometimes, I don't know if this ever happens to you, sometimes I, I, I wonder if I'm asking wrong. <laughs> I'm praying about certain, why is this not happening? Well, maybe I'm asking wrong. Or maybe I'm asking for the wrong thing. Or maybe I'm not asking enough. But maybe in those times, we ought to turn to our attention to not the quality and consistency of our asking, but the quality and consistency of our abiding. Do you follow? Just, just invest more in the condition. Invest in the condition. Do we know the privilege of hearing the words of Jesus personally, regularly? consistently, of letting the words of Jesus and thereby the very presence of Jesus abide deeply in our hearts. If we know that privilege, then ask. And that's what he gets into in the rest of the verse. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask. And here, uh, beyond the condition, the second how-to of asking prayer is align the content of your asking now. Okay? What's the content of the asking? According to verse 7, the second half of verse 7, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Okay, so if we just had this verse alone, the content of asking prayer is what I desire? Are you kidding me? <laughs> what I desire? Really? That's what Jesus wants to, to answer and respond to, well, what about things like this in 1 John? You know, same, same author, 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, okay, there's that kind of blank check assurance, we know that we have what we asked of Him. But here in 1 John, John's talking about asking according to His will. But Jesus was saying, you'll ask whatever you want. So how do we make sense of that? We make sense of that by reminding ourselves of the condition. The prior condition to asking is abiding. And if his words are truly abiding in us, I would submit that vital connection, that union with Jesus, that oneness with him will actually transform what I want to be what he wants. Whoa. Psalm 37, verse 4. Maybe you know this one. If you don't, you can highlight it in your Bible. Psalm 37, verse 4 says this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Whoa, that's pretty awesome. I mean, at, one, at a quick reading, you could just take that as like a genie in a bottle. Hey, give me what I want. You know, that kind of thing. But there is a precondition there. Delight yourself in the Lord. May your greatest affections, delights, joys be lined up in Him and Him alone. And He will give you the desires of your heart. Why? 
because your desires are actually his desires. Bam! That's the condition that shapes the content when we align that content. So when this condition is reality, we can truly pray in Jesus' name because his desires really be, will be our desires. That's incredible. That's incredible to me. I mean, you, you remember, like, w- there are a few examples of Jesus actually praying. John 17 is one of them, but in the Garden of Gethsemane is another of them. Do you remember how Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, if this is possible, let this cup pass from me. And then the tagline, not my will, but yours be done. I think there's something that happens in abiding, which um, just like I mentioned this last week, I've been reading through Steps of Christ again, uh, just on my own. And she, she really defines abiding as continually surrendering, <laughs> continually surrendering. She had some other descriptions of communing with him moment by moment, hour by hour, things like that. But we, when we make a habit of praying as Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done, then you know what happens? Our wills become identified with his will. That's a transformation that happens in what kind of condition? In an abiding condition, in an abiding relationship with him. When the condition is reality, then we can have confidence God hears us and answers us, like John later says in 1 John. So here's the question I want to ask before moving on. We're talking about the content of our prayers, right? So we're, we're investing in the condition, we're aligning the content, but let me just sit on this question for a little bit. What then... What desire will we ask for that Jesus himself desires to? What desire will we ask for? You know, like John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide, you will ask what you desire. So what are we going to desire that Jesus desires to when we're really abiding in him? In verse 8, go back to it. First John, I'm not First John. The Gospel of John 15. In verse 8, Jesus follows up this this blank check. It shall be done for you. He says, by this, by what? By asking what you desire and it being done for you. By this, my Father is glorified. And then he adds on a further description, that you bear much fruit. Huh. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So in abiding, Jesus wants us to ask, and he also wants us to abound. Okay? He wants us to ask in petition prayer, but he also wants us to bear fruit to the Father's glory. Not just some fruit, but much fruit. I love that. So God's greatest desire, what is it? I would say it's not just our experience of abiding, but also our experience of fruit-bearing. That's the desire that he wants. And I, you know, just in in the flow of how Jesus is talking, I truly believe that when we're abiding in him, that's going to be our desire too, that will bear much fruit. And what's really interesting to me, this was pointed out to me in my youth group in high school, I still remember an older gentleman, bearded, deep voice, and everybody wanted to listen to him anytime he talked. And, And he said, you know what? Fruit is by nature others centered. Have you noticed that? Fruit, by nature, does no benefit to the one that's bearing the fruit. Your apple tree is not benefited by its apples. 
Your strawberry plants, they are not benefited by their wonderful strawberries. You know who's benefited? Everyone else around it. You're going to bear fruit. You're going to bear blessing, not for yourself, but for others. The desire that we will ask for when we abide in him is to bear fruit, more to share with others, more of his character to, to produce in our lives so others can taste and see that he is good. While this may not be the only thing we can petition the Father about, I would say this is the primary thing we petition the Father about. Abiding disciples, yeah, abiding disciples will have needs. Abiding disciples will want circumstances changed. But abiding disciples will see their needs and the the need for changing of circumstances in the context of bearing fruit for the Father's glory. So think about the thing that you've been praying for, the situation you've been praying for, the provision that you've been asking for. And I want to suggest to you to try this. Lay that in the context of, of how God will be glorified and others will be blessed. I, re- I heard recently, uh, I don't know, maybe this is a while ago, um, it, was on, it was on the radio, someone was kind of sharing his own testimony of, of being challenged with a question, you know, he was going to a mentor about how he, you know, he wasn't hearing answers to his prayers or wasn't seeing answers to his prayers. And the mentor said, let me ask you a question. If your prayers were answered, whose lives would be impacted? Would anyone else's life, aside from yours, be impacted? And that was a heart check to him, right? Maybe you're praying for some emergent situation, some very urgent needs. And we get into these modes, I get into these modes, where I'm just, help me, help me, help me, help me, you know, that kind of thing. But what if we pray about our personal needs in the larger context of bearing fruit so that God can be glorified and others can be saved? I think that would shape, maybe even transform, redo the way that we pray about some of the things that we're petitioning God about. So don't only pray for the change of circumstance, but pray for God to be known even if that circumstance doesn't change. Three Hebrew worthies standing in front of a very fiery furnace. (laughs) I'm sure they're praying. I want to get out of this but they're able because they're abiding disciples. They're able to pray in a larger context. Let it be known that even if, even if our God doesn't deliver, he is the true God. They're praying in the larger context of what glory is given to God. I want this circumstance to be changed, but not my will, but yours be done. And that will, I know, will bring the most glory to you and bear fruit for your kingdom. align the content of your asking prayer. And this is something God is challenging me to, and I hope this makes sense. I'm just sharing what I'm discovering along the way. All right, so here we are. How-tos of asking prayer. There's, There's one more. Invest in the condition. Align the content. And last, embrace the calling. I don't know if you realize this, but Asking prayer is something that you and I have actually been called to, chosen for, picked and appointed. Notice again in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. You know, all part and parcel with the asking. So asking and abounding. And then the last part of verse 8, mine says, So you will be my disciples. 
Very plain and simple. You will be my disciples in this way. Thus, you will be my disciples. Some versions say, so you will prove to be my disciples, or so you will show to be my disciples. In other words, our asking and then abounding actually demonstrates whether or not my discipleship is genuine. And I can reverse this, and maybe it sounds a little bit more sobering. True disciples are fruit-bearing disciples and asking disciples. And I can use this in my own life just to say, hey, where am I with Jesus? What, what, what calling am I living up to? The reality is we're not really abiding disciples if we're not asking disciples. What? We're not really abiding disciples if we're not asking disciples. The contrast is actually found in verse 6. This is the, the very opposite, the polar opposite of a of an abiding disciple. This is a non-abiding branch, right? Verse 6 says, If anyone does not abide in me, and we've already seen that abiding disciples ask, and abiding disciples bear fruit. But it says in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. We gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. We're not really abiding disciples if we're not asking disciples. If we're not asking disciples, I would submit that we're actually withering disciples. And then in verse 16, later on, Jesus kind of follows this up, connects these two ideas of of chosenness and asking. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Again, Jesus kind of combines these two ideas of bearing fruit, abounding and asking. It's not separate. It's wrapped up in one. It's wrapped up in being a true disciple of Jesus. And this is what we've been called to. This is what we've been chosen for. And that's a calling I want to be faithful to. That's a calling I want to say, here I am, pick me, you know. Man, let let me add it, coach. For what purpose? To bear much fruit and to make demands of the Father in the stead of Jesus. That's a big calling. God has chosen us. He's chosen you. He's chosen me. He's chosen us to abide. He's chosen us to abound. And then to ask to abound even more. That is awesome. And that is asking. I hope this is a challenge to you. I hope this is an encouragement to you. Today, I simply want to ask you, will we embrace this calling? to be abiding and asking disciples? Will we embrace this calling to be abounding disciples? Will we embrace this calling to ask? And if so, what are we going to ask for today? What are we going to ask for today? You don't need to answer out loud necessarily, but I did before we wrap up here today. Just, you know, each of us has been given a a prayer card and I want to give us time to find someone to our right or left, in front or behind. We may need to move around for this, but just to get into small prayer bands and pray for the very need that is suggested on your prayer card. Okay? So some of us, uh, maybe it says, pray for love and unity. Pray for that with someone else around you. Some, uh, maybe a card says, pray for the children. And hopefully one of the kids got pray for the adults. There's a prayer card for that one too. So let's go ahead and do that. We've got a few minutes here. 
Uh, we'll give you five or six minutes. Find someone to your right, to your left, in front or back, and let's pray together. Let's ask. Maybe you want to ask for those prayer cards. Maybe you want to ask for a more abiding, a deeper abiding. Maybe you want to ask for letting your will be surrendered to his will. Whatever it is, go ahead and ask. Go ahead and ask. Okay, ready, set. I'll stop talking. You go pray. All right, ready, go. <laughs>